You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Psalm 7 says, A shigayon, I guess is how you pronounce that in Hebrew, of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. Verse 1 says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, I have done this. If there is, any, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground. And lay my glory in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and heart, O righteous God. My soul is with God, or my shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. But I will give to the Lord the the thanks due his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. Now that, may God bless his word this morning, that is an unbelievable psalm. And can you imagine, this is a, a song. David sang this song. I don't know how many of you listen to music that talks about the wicked and how they're going to be destroyed and how someday that, that will come to an end. That, that is an amazing thing to put into verse, to put into song. But David did that. And, he, and this Shigeon thing that he talks about is a is kind of a, it's only used a couple times. It's like a song of triumph at one point. It's a song of deliverance at another, but it's also a song of complaint, of complaining. Now you think about life. What is life like for us? There are times when praising the Lord is really easy. There are times when it's not. There are times when things go well in life, and there are times when obviously they do not. And so in the ups and downs of life, this is exactly what David is, is doing in this psalm. Is he's way up here, and he's way down here, and he wants to get back to here, to real life. This psalm is a beautiful psalm. <clears throat> now, David, if you were going to pick someone out of the Old Testament that was your favorite character, there'd be a number of maybe that would come to your mind. But I think David would probably come to, to some of your minds to think about What a great king he was. You know, David was called a man after God's own heart. He was called a mighty warrior. He wrote dozens and dozens of psalms. 
He was king for 40 years. That's a long time to have a president, right? 40 years. And he was also in the bloodline of Christ. Now, if you look at the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, you will see that from Abraham to David was 14 generations. From David to the captivity in Babylon was another 14 generations. And from the captivity to Jesus was another 14 generations. So you see God's working in a particular person, David, that in his, through his bloodline, the Savior, the Messiah would come. Jesus would come. And yet, you, if David is your favorite character, then do you think that he lived a perfect life? I would think he'd say no, right? Have any of us lived a perfect life? David had a couple things in his, in his uh, memorabilia that were not too cool, right? One was the famous one that we all know so well. That's the sin with Bathsheba. The other was counting the population, counting the numbers in Israel, which was, according to God, was a big no-no. That, in other words, showed that, they, that he didn't trust God enough to do what he said he was going to do. Those two things mark David's life as an imperfect and yet a man after God's own heart. And so before we even get into the psalm, I think we could, we could almost... Declare right now, if you ask the question of yourself, how can God use someone like me? Have you ever asked that of yourself? How can God use someone like me? We're not perfect. We screw up. We're still considered sinners saved by grace, right? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. So how can he use someone like me? Well, that's what he chooses to do. He takes imperfect people, people that are not quite yet what they're going to be, and uses them to accomplish something great for God. Now, David, I think, accomplished a lot for God. Did he know God? Of course he knew God. But this this song of triumph, this song of deliverance, deliver me, O God, this complaint. In other words, how many times do you go to prayer and you're, You're acknowledging God and you're saying in the very first verse, what does he say? It says, O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. (laughs) He was being chased by Saul's men. Saul didn't like him very much. And yet he always supported the king. He never said that he was going to go against God's anointed. He did not do anything that was wrong in the sight of God or man at how he treated the king. And this man after him, though, was slandering him with words. Was maybe even trying to hunt him down to kill him. Now that's, that's a pretty serious thing. So the first, every good sermon has three points. So the first point this morning is the innocent cry for justice and deliverance. And that's in the first five verses. Uh, imagine putting yourself in this position that David was in, running from Saul, And now this guy, Cush, pursues him with a vengeance. But David's first verse is, I trust you, God. Right? I trust you, God. There's confidence in his word. Strange question to ask whether you thought David knew God. I think we would obviously think, yeah, David did know God. But with the ups and downs of life, it's as as variable 
as the weather in Nebraska this week, right? Been pretty horrendous week. But there's confidence in David's word. Of course he believes in God. Of course he has an obvious answer. He says to himself, not in this verse, he doesn't say it here, but I can imagine him saying to himself, I shake with fear sometimes, but the rock never moves. And that's where his trust lies. So where do you run in the case of a tornado? Since we're living in tornado country. You don't run outside, right? You don't hop in your car and go chasing it. Well, you might if you're stupid like me. But you'd probably go to a basement, I would think, if you have one. You go to a safe place. You go to a safe room. You go to somewhere where you're going to find protection, right? To be safe from this horrible weather experience. David found his protection being slandered and accused by many. He found his protection. He said, God, protect me. I trust you. Protect me. <clears throat> so you turn to him. And it's interesting. God is not really, not just someone who can protect. He himself is actually protection. He is the one who puts everything around you to provide the protection that we need in the midst of this kind of slander and accusations that the world can bring against people. And we live in America, I know, and most cases, Christians are free to, to worship, and to pray, in most places, not in every place anymore. So we don't often, we're not often subjected to persecution that the church history is full of. Someday it may come to that, who knows? We're not, we're not guaranteed that this system of protection for believers will always take place. There could be a time when that doesn't happen. So Spurgeon is one of my favorite commentators, old, old guy from way back. And his, I'm going to use him about two or three times today in this message because here's what he says about this when he's talking about David on the move. He says, A father cannot be silent when a child is in such peril. It, is, it will be well for us to remember that this is a description of the danger to which the psalmist was exposed from slanderous tongues. Truly, this is not an overdrawn picture or an exaggerated picture. For the wounds of a sword will heal, but the wounds of the tongue cut deeper than the flesh and are not soon cured. If God was slandered in the Garden of Eden, we shall surely be maligned in the land of sinners. Think about that. If God was even maligned in a perfect environment of the Garden of Eden, we shall surely, he says, be maligned or spoke, spoken ill of in this land of sinners. That is an amazing, amazing phrase. So question, how do you remain confident? How do you remain self-controlled? How do you remain godly even when people lie about you? Even David, he didn't sit idly by. He wanted to disprove those lies. But ultimately... He had to trust in God to shield him. There, there are times, in those kind of times, if you've had those experiences in your life, 
there are those, you come, finally come to the end of it, you realize that in some cases you will never, ever solve the issue with what's being said. And ultimately, God is the one then that you turn to and find out that he is your shield and protector in the midst of that. Right? You believe that? I do. Verse 3, to, verse three, and five, three through 5. Oh, Lord my God, if I have done this, I, like, I love this verse, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. <clears throat> we can fool people, but we can never fool God. So David had to be sure, he had to know for sure that not only he knew, but that God knew that in this situation, in this incident that he was dealing with, he was 100% innocent. Now how many times can we say that? We can't say that every time as incidents in our life come up, but, but in this one thing, David says, I was 100% innocent. And without that, <laughs> you would, he'd not be able to go on. In other words, he couldn't go on and make his complaint. He couldn't go on and demand and ask God to wake up so that he can solve this problem. He had to be absolutely sure between him and his God that he was innocent in this matter. He was not slandering. And he knows from experience what it's like. If some, who came to him, remember, when the big thing with Bathsheba happened? Nathan came to him, right? The prophet. And how did David respond? He listened. And he tore his clothes and repented. So in, in times like that, he knew. He knew for sure the minute Nathan brought it up, he was not innocent. He was as guilty as sin. But in this case, he had to be absolutely sure to have peace with God about it. And maybe even sometimes, if you're going through this, sometimes a good friend can help you see if there's something that maybe you or I did in that situation that wasn't right. So he had to be absolutely sure. Spurgeon says again, I love it, he says, it is only at the tree laden with fruit that men throw stones throw stones. If we would live without being slandered, we must wait till we get to heaven. It, it will not stop until heavenly days. So David, David's claiming, you know, how do you, he's in the courtroom, you ask David, how do you please? He says, I plea not guilty. And I am not guilty. So he has to be completely sure, but concerning this one, he is sure. And that's why he ends. I love it when he ends this with that little tiny funny word, Selah. You always need to read that when you're reading a psalm, and he puts that in there, or the, the writer of the psalm puts that word in there. It's like a pause. It's like, take a, take a minute, back up, think about what he just wrote in those first five verses. And he himself would have to do that very same thing, stand back and say, yeah, okay, this is where I am. If I have repaid anybody with evil, then let it come upon me. He stands back, thinks about it, he ponders it, and everything's fine. He can move on. 
So the second point of this is, that first one was the innocent cry for justice and deliverance. The next one is the innocent argues his case before the judge. And that takes up almost the entire rest of the psalm until you get to verse 17. So verse 10, verse 6 through 16, I can't deal with every one of those verses today because of time, but God, in verse 6 and 7, David says, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about. Over it, return on high. Awake for me, you have appointed a judgment. How many times do you think God sleeps? Do you think God ever takes this big nap for three or four hours or three or four days and then wakes up and says, oh gosh, I forgot to do what I was going to do three days ago. Right? I don't think that's the way he works. So why does David have to say, wake up. Wake up, God, and deal with this situation. Because humanly speaking, that's exactly what goes on inside of us when we're under this kind of stress. God, are you listening? Wake up from your nap. I need some help. Of course, God never sleeps. He's bigger than lies. He's bigger than he is. Truth will always triumph with him. That might have been hard for David to believe at that time, that truth would definitely triumph over his enemies. And put it in our own hearts today. How many times do we wonder, is God really going to fix this situation? I need to scream at him, wake up. I need some help. And David, even a man after God's own heart, questions that sometimes. So be honest with yourself. I have to be honest with myself. We have to be honest that we don't always believe in the depths of our heart that God will fix this. It can take years sometimes to fix things. Where you begin to think sometimes, wow, I'm not sure this is ever going to happen, but God reminded David as he wrote this to believe it. We have to believe it. Verse 8 and 9 says, The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness. Oops, sorry. My finger got crazy there. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. This is what he says. Judge me, O Lord. So he's willing to have God look at him, survey the situation, and judge whether he's done this right, right? He says, according to the integrity that is in me. Integrity is one of those things that, that you, everybody hopes to have as a characteristic of their life. Integrity brings honesty. Integrity brings truth. Integrity means that my reputation speaks for itself, that your reputation speaks for something, right? So David is bold enough to say, judge me. And judge me according to my, to my integrity. My integrity in this situation, in this instance that I'm being accused of, go ahead, open my heart, judge me. If I've done something wrong, then zap me, Right? That's how he looks at God. <clears throat> He's really looking forward. In a sense, you can think David, of course, wouldn't necessarily know that through his bloodline would come the Messiah. He, he may have wondered about that, 
So his faith in God, he was saved the same way that you and I are. He was saved looking forward to what God was going to provide through a Messiah. He was saved by faith. He was saved just like Abraham was. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Did he accept Jesus as his personal Savior? Well, Jesus wasn't there yet. Jesus hadn't come and lived and died and rose again and ascended on high. That hadn't happened yet. But Abraham, looking forward to what God had said, believing what God had said, it was reckoned to him, Paul says, as righteousness. So David had to do the same thing. Faith had to be an important part of his life. 1 Peter 2 says this, 22 to 23, He committed no sin, Jesus, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 1 Peter 2. Only Jesus was the only one. David couldn't. Abraham couldn't. The disciples could not. Peter, James, John, Paul, all of them could not save themselves, could not come to a point where they no longer had a problem with sin. They just could not do it. Only one who was sinless, who never sinned, could actually die for the people. And that's what Jesus did. So he was looking forward to that. <clears throat> the last section is really, I, I think, a really interesting section. I want to spend some time on this. In verses 10 through 16, but particularly in verses 14 through 16. I'm going to read those again. I want you to think about this. He's talking now about evil men. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his head. He paints two pictures there. The first picture, of course, is pregnancy. What happens that he is pregnant with mischief. I just think that's an, an amazing translation in, in the English Standard Version. He has, he is pregnant with mischief. That means the evil man conceives in his heart, conceives in his very soul a way to destroy God's people. And one of the ways to destroy God's people is not necessarily to kill them, which is obviously something that Satan would love to do. But it's slander and accusations that can cause dramatic problems with people. We could spend an hour just on verse 14 alone about being pregnant with mischief. And yet, the hunter one in verses 15 to 16 is like a hunter who makes, who digs a pit and expects an animal to, to walk by it fall in it, and become his prey. And yet he says what? His mischief returns upon his own head. I'm going to throw this phone in the garbage. It keeps doing this to me. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull, his violence descends. I mean, that is unbelievable. And they don't hunt fairly. They, don't, they say mean things and they will do anything to bring revenge on the godly, but they don't do it fairly. They, don't, they, they entrap them secretly and maybe even diabolically 
because they can't legitimately run them down and shoot them. <laughs> That's a bad hunter. Spurgeon again, the last time I'm going to quote him, he says this, Our enemies will not, face, will not meet us to the face or face to face, for they fear us as much as they pretend to despise us. But that mischief will return on his own head. He casts forth evil from his mouth, and it has fallen into his bosom. He has set his own house on fire with the torch which he lit to burn his neighbor. <laughs> Curses are like chickens. They always come home to roost, he says. We use that phrase still, don't we? This was written a couple hundred, a long time ago. But he set his own house on fire with the torch which he lit to burn his neighbor. So David was so confident in his innocence that when he began to think about what wicked men could do to him, he realized that their methods never succeed. Never in God's eyes. They dig a pit, and who falls in it? Himself, the one who digs it. He lights a fire to light that house on fire. What happens? He burns his own house down. That's the nature and the, the fanatical, I guess is the best way to put it, the fanatical uh, character that comes with this kind of, of slander and accusations. They become so obsessed with trying to bring about the demise of someone else that they, they screw it up and they end up being hurt themselves. So that's, good. that's kind of good stuff for, both, for, for us on both sides. It's good for us because if people do that to us, and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I have determined that I am not guilty in this, I am innocent in this matter, I have to somehow deal with it and deal with it in this way. If I am, if I am not innocent, I need to do something to fix it. I don't know how many times if someone has come to you and confronted you about something. That's, those are really serious times. Those are, those are uh, strenuous times. They, they cause pain. And yet, the result, if done correctly, even as Jesus laid it out, if it's done correctly, great healing can take place. David was one that in this instance, didn't need the healing part, but he definitely needed to know that God was on his side. And without that, we are of all men most miserable. He has cast forth evil from his mouth, and it has fallen into his bosom. And his chickens will come home to roost. So you think about that, not only in David's time, but golly, that was you know, millennia ago that this was written, long time ago. Now we find ourselves in 2019, and we're facing the exact same thing that he faced. But now, instead of looking forward to someone who's going to fix it, we look back and we see who came 2,000 years ago to fix the very problem that David was talking about. David couldn't live a 100% perfect life. He couldn't and he didn't. But he trusted God in times of trouble and allowed him 
fix it. So the enemies can sometimes be, and I, I know we're somehow we're sheltered a little bit in this country, but enemies of, of Christ can be extremely diabolical. And when you, when you take a diabolical scheme, which is usually made up of one lie upon another lie upon another lie, they're extremely hard to fight and defeat. We see some of that. We, you're, you experience that. I experience that in the country we live, in which we live. But around the world, there have been those sort of things ever since Jesus came. There have been those that have been persecuted for his name unfairly, right? Unjustly. And to this day, that still happens. But there will come a time when all that will come to an end. Because God is faithful and he will not leave us alone. So that leads us to the very last point. And that is verse 17 all by itself. The innocent man praises his God. I will give to the Lord the thanks due his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. Now that part of the song I can really get. <laughs> that gives me hope, that gives me rest, that gives me peace. The rest of it sometimes can cause a lot of turmoil in my life. But when I come to this verse, I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. Nothing has changed on the outside, but David has definitely changed on the inside. <clears throat> Another commentator put it this way, not Spurgeon this time, okay, somebody else. God's righteousness is our hope. Can you imagine a world where there is not final justice? Where liars have the last word, where the powerful crush the weak with no consequences ever, where government inspectors get away scot-free with bribes, where murders go unsolved forever, and where someone steals and is never caught. We, we exist to please our maker. And he doesn't blink an eye or close his eyes to what's going on in this world. He knows exactly who, what, where, why, and how all this gets manifested. So we may be falsely accused. Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe it's happened to you recently. You cry out to him and you trust him to judge. Remember this. You may think God is silent when you are going through this trial. His patience is one of long-suffering. We bear this willingly and unselfishly. Why? In the hope that someone may be led to Jesus as a result. As a result of how we handled it. Eileen read a, a <coughs> devotional to me last night from just a real short thing from August 9th, which was the day before yesterday. And it quotes out of Psalm 22, which is, the, which is the psalm that Jesus most likely recited on the cross itself. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, and I find no rest. 
This writer says this, when God seems silent and you feel as if your prayers are going unanswered, change is happening behind the scenes. Even if you don't feel it, you're developing a deeper faith and a greater knowing. Wait patiently for his perfect timing. (laughs) How patient do you think David was? Probably wasn't any more patient than you or me. We want answers. And yet when we rest in the fact that God will do what he set out to do, there's a beginning with God, not with him personally, but in in our minds there's a beginning and an end to this whole story. I kind of look forward to that day. When he seems silent and you feel as if your prayers are going unanswered, You ever felt that way? I have. Remember this. Things are happening behind the scenes. And he does not sleep. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this psalm. We thank you, Father, for sometimes how... uh, Just how picturesque some of this evil part can be. And we just want to acknowledge to you, Lord, that sometimes that is overwhelming to us. And it... It, uh, these kind of things cause pain and cause divisions, cause all kinds of things among the human race. And so, Father, I just want to acknowledge to you today that as a child of yours, that we would, Lord, submit ourselves totally unto you in such a way that that fear of retribution would be gone, that there would be an assurance in our life of innocence, and but most of all, that there be assurance, Father, that by faith we have become part of your family and that someday you will bring all this to conclusion, either as we go to be with you or as you invade history and change things now. So we submit ourselves to you this morning, Father. And even as we celebrate communion today, Lord, I just ask that you would uh, just invade our lives in such a way that we would be, never be tempted to do anything that would go against your will but that everything that we do and say would be pleasing to you. And that, Lord, as we go through trials, that, Lord, there would be a result that if someone is watching, that that person would recognize that God is at work in us. We thank you for this church. We thank you, Lord, for this congregation that comes together today to worship and to praise and to give you thanks. And, Lord, we trust you as David did today. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.